The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member. And we don't mean your Aunt Dolores. You stink! The TNT Shop has it all at tntradio.live. Dean Mackin on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. And g'day, welcome to the new working week. And if you don't work, all power to you. That's all I can say. Um, we've got a bunch of stuff happening this afternoon, and I'm absolutely looking forward to it. Dr. Alan Moran, a little bit later, the Aussie Cossack, Gemma Cooper, will be joining us shortly as well. Lots to talk about. And I was going to talk about a couple of different things, but I was browsing social media and I like my celebrities. I like my favorite, <clears throat> I like my favorite singers. I like my favorite actors. And when you notice that something is disproportionate, it's bad, it's horrific, in fact, and it's happening to people who you either do or did respect, and it's really affecting their lives in a major way, and I couldn't help but notice, and I'm going to have a bit of a chat about it now. When it comes to three of the most iconic Australian bands, I think almost immediately people would think, you know, Men at Work, Land Down Under, ACDC, Akadaka, and of course, Cold Chisel, Jimmy Barnes. What do those three groups have in common? And they are the top Australian groups. Their lead singers are all from Scotland, which is terrific because my dad is from Scotland too. So, you know, I feel it, you know, I get it and all the rest of it. I was a massive fan of, and still am, of the music of Cold Chisel. Ian Moss is a legend. Jimmy Barnes, I love his music. But he should, when he's not singing, when it comes to politics, he should, probably should not comment too much. He was very outspoken, I have to say, when it came to putting out your arm, getting an experimental medical, you know, experiment done on you, if, if you want. It was, a, it was an experiment, uh, encouraging people to go and get it. His son, very vocal as well, and others in the entertainment industry, but him being one of the most prolific, one of the most prominent in our entertainment industry, I couldn't help but just shake my head. Also, when it comes to Jimmy Barnes and his politics, he's been wrong on pretty much everything that's come out of his mouth, if I'm honest, and I many people are feeling that. And the reason I'm telling you this is on his health update that he has shared, he has been, since COVID, he has been prolific on social media. You want to know what Jimmy Barnes had for lunch? Go on to his social media. He'll tell you. Well, you know, what are you doing on Saturday? Jimmy Barnes is all across social media. He was doing a song a day to keep you all entertained during COVID. I thought that was nice. I thought it was good. But he was also encouraging you while he was singing those songs to go and get jabbed. And he's not a doctor. He's far from it. If I'm if I'm honest, he's about as far from a doctor as you could possibly get because everything that comes out of his mouth politically or medically seems to be wrong. And he seems to be a victim of himself at the moment. He's been rushed to hospital. Uh, he's had to cancel a bunch of gigs. And here's the problem. I'm not going to suggest why I think he's in there. I think I don't have to for this particular audience. What I will say is when it comes to people such as Jimmy Barnes, who were pushing products on people, telling you that they were safe and effective, something that nobody could have done. Nobody on the planet could have done it. I don't care if you're a scientist or the guy next door. Unless you have a proven track record of anything, there is no way you could possibly ever make that claim. But there he was uh, pushing it upon you, people he trusts or people that trust him, I should say. And it's kind of, it may have backfired. I don't know if that's the reason, but he's not doing too well. He's had to cancel his tour. He's in hospital and he's uh, probably got pneumonia. 
or some very bad form of COVID or the flu. And what really got my goat was I was going to read you, and I saw it last night on social media, one in every three comments. And there were plenty of comments wishing Jimmy Barnes well, and I wish him well. I, I hope that he has a, a good outcome health-wise. But there were a prolific amount of people who were on there saying, you know, jibby jabby, uh, have your next booster, you know, Jimmy. A lot of rather nasty comments, if I'm honest, but a lot of people probably uh, feeling somewhat vindicated. Um, and I don't know if that's the right word. I don't like to do the whole I told you so thing. Some people do. And it was rather nasty. And I thought I'd give you an example of some of those comments from social media. It was completely sanitized on the news.com.au site and others. I went there, still hundreds, in fact, thousands of comments. And many of the ones that mentioned uh, a certain procedure or perhaps that that might have been behind his uh, resilience to such um, diseases that are floating about at the moment because there is plenty of evidence to say that if you have been jabbed, that your immune system has been severely compromised. Of course, that New South Wales Health Respiratory Surveillance Report data um, absolutely showed that beyond any doubt. That data was scrubbed at the end of last year in December. But uh, plenty of people thinking it, feeling it, and not just Jimmy Barnes, but other people. If you've ever watched the, the series Supernatural, the character Cat Crowley, who is one of the best characters on there, is played by an actor, Mark Shepard. He's 59 years of age, a tremendous guy. He's English. And he has now been in hospital after, wait for it, six massive heart attacks. And he was, if you, anyone that's ever watched Supernatural, and it's a terrific series, I did more than a, uh, a, a decade on air. He is a very fit, very healthy, certainly an intelligent looking character. And I have no idea whether he's jabbed or not, I have no idea. But isn't it funny how many of us, when we see these things and we notice this disproportionate, and it is disproportionate, uh, amount of people who are having these uh, cardiac events of late, we all tend to jump to that conclusion. Many people, you know, having a go at us for jumping to those conclusions. But when we check the data and to see if they had received the jab or not, they tend to be people that have and very, very seldomly, are they people who did not? So just things that I think we need to notice. And when it's affecting people who have done things that I like, who have been in movies that I like, who have made music that I like, I feel very sorry for them, you know? And the, despite the fact that some of them may have encouraged you to do similarly, um, that's very upsetting. But at the end of the day, I hope that they they have good health outcomes. But um, poor old, you know, Mark Shepard, 59 over in the UK, uh, six massive heart attacks. It really is very hard to reconcile, and I think you might agree. At TNT Radio, we never go home. In fact, we are committed to bringing you the outtake on the biggest topics of our time. We broadcast live 24-7 online globally, no matter what, and we've got you covered here at TNT Radio. The latest headlines waiting for you. I follow the news pretty much throughout the day. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. I love this job because I get to talk to terrific people and one who is terrific and I get to talk to on a regular basis. And I missed her, is the wonderful Gemma Cooper. Hey, Gemma, how are you going? Hello there, Dean. Yes, good morning from the UK. We're just a bit behind you and it's the beginning of a new working week, as you rightly say. Interesting listening to your editorial there at the top of the show because the parallels with what happened here in the UK are astounding. You know, the amount of celebrities that got on the bandwagon. I mean, Sir Elton John, uh, you know, on television encouraging 
you to have something stuck in your arm, uh, a Sir Michael Caine in the same way. You often wonder if they get these uh, knighthoods and their uh, honours for playing the system, you know, because, of course, as you rightly say, absolutely zero medical qualifications. Uh, and yet they seem to have the right to tell us what to do with our lives because it confers, you know, this celebrity status confers some kind of authority. I mean, it's not called the cult of celebrity for nothing, <laughs> is it? Hey, Jimmy, can I say one thing? And despite the fact that they have no medical qualifications, and people could argue that of you and me, the simple fact is if you have a history of being right, when you are doubting, when you, whether you are questioning, and over a decade or more, and you and I have both been in the media for well over a decade, if you have a history of being right, maybe people should then start to listen. If, of course, you have no medical degree and you have no history of getting it right. And in fact, I would go further and, and say, if you are people who have a history of getting it wrong, historically, why should people ever listen to the, their opinions? And why would they feel qualified to continue to offer them despite the fact that they know they've got a history of being wrong? Well, you have to look at the mechanisms also of how it actually worked. You know, it wasn't just that celebrities were jumping up and down and, and shouting about getting a jab, getting a jab. It was that they were encouraged by the system and manipulated by the media. That's what I mean. The cult of celebrity yeah. uh, it, it is there for a reason. And uh, interesting hearing you, a man of your caliber, actually, Dean, talking about how you do have your favorite celebrities and musicians. I, I, you know, for me, the blinkers came off a long time ago. It is still part of the control mechanism. It's false gods. You know, we look to someone else we confer authority to an external figure to tell us how to live our lives with celebrity uh, where really you should be looking on inside and listening to your to your own judgment i'm not telling you what to do here i'm just saying we've got it all wrong in our society and uh, celebrities are leading the way whereas you know really it should be us leading leading them uh, we pay their wages after all but uh, interesting as well what you're saying about the uh, the reaction to that um singer musician who has had that terrible reaction to possibly the jabs and people saying, I told you so, I told you so. It is difficult not to have that reaction because you have to think about what happened three and a half years ago when they were so aggressive towards us. Yes. Saying, you know, we were terrible people. We were, we were evil. We were killers, you know, really awful language that was used, the vitriol that we should, we should be, we, they hope we would die if we didn't have a jab. So it is difficult not to say, well, you know, I mean, not that I encourage it, but I can understand it certainly. It Gemma, I have to say one thing. I mean, I we're adults and I think we take responsibility for ourselves as adults. So if I can convince somebody to do something, whether that be right or wrong, and that person does it, that's on them. But if somebody, especially somebody without any qualifications, with possibly a history of getting it wrong politically, uses their influence to uh, influence a bunch of their people who trust them, who love them, who literally love them over, you know, decades of providing, let's say, you know, top-notch uh, music to them. And they then convince them to do what is they consider the right thing. I love this person. They wouldn't tell me to do it if they weren't doing it themselves. And I don't doubt that he did it himself in this particular occasion. But I'll talk more generically as I go and in general. Uh, anybody who would do that, what really worries me is that some of these people, it's not just them. It's not just them putting out their arm and saying, I'm going to partake in this experiment. But what really irks me is many of those people have children. So you have then gone and encouraged those people because they love and trust you, despite the fact that you have no qualifications and therefore they should not trust you on this particular subject, may have gone and done harm to their children. And when it comes to the kids uh, who didn't know any better and who inherently trust their parents. That to me 
is just horrific. And that's why I guess so many people, there's such vitriol in those comments. But the fact that also that social media is going and cleansing those comments and there's somebody deleting it in nitpicking which comments are appropriate and not, despite the fact it changes what the natural perception is and what people out there are thinking. And I think that's very wrong. I don't think that's the job of social media. I certainly don't think it's the job of these news organisations that are going and sanitising their comments feeds. Yeah, absolutely. The censorship continues, doesn't it? It really, really does with this this whole narrative of like the truth coming out, excess deaths, everything, you you know, that, that it's still a control of where this narrative, that it's not over, is it? And they're talking about oh, no. this new mystery, mystery illness now coming out of China. They're talking about a new pandemic. I mean, these aren't even the stories I wanted to bring to the table this morning, but, you know, it, it, there's legs in this one. It's going to run and run and run. The interesting thing this time will be how the public at large globally does respond because there's no doubt they will try and bring something like this back anyway i should talk about the story that i'm bringing to the, sorry, I, to I, the I table you. Sorry. I, I do that i do that i'm sorry no no it's, every time i come on the show the talking points that you raise at the start are brilliant and i'm thinking of all the things oh yeah that's a really good point that's a really good point however uh, a story today that's out which has again parallels between the uk and australia exactly the same situation uh, straight out of the globalist playbook i would argue um last week in the uk we had figures out that showed that net migration had reached a third of a million i think you've got similar wow. figures in australia it's about half a million net migration now and um boss of one of the UK's biggest housing agencies has now gone on the record and said the number of people coming into the UK is pushing the rental market up significantly. It's up nearly 10%, the cost of renting now, this time on last year. Um, and basically, it's forcing people out. It's forcing people onto the streets. And I think you guys have got the same problem. Um, interestingly, international students play a big role in this. Uh, and I think that's the same with you in Australia and backpackers in your country, because people come to Australia, they love it, and then they stay. They don't go back after maybe studying or traveling, uh, and they push the, the rental market up. There aren't that many rental markets privately now in the UK. 5.5 million homes, a lot of landlords now. There's so many restrictions, they're just jettisoning properties. But uh, there's nowhere for people to live. Um, hey, England hey, Gemma, much I've, I've got to ask. Here in Australia, it's very counterintuitive. Despite the fact that the interest rates are continuing to go up, um, some people, myself included, are paying in excess of 8%. Uh, you can get some sort of fixed term, maybe as low as six, uh, some people paying five and a half, but between five and a half and 8% at the moment. And despite all of that, our property market has continued to go up. That I cannot believe. Ponzi scheme is the word that immediately comes to mind. And of course, we know why it is. We know it's this, you know, net migration or this mass migration with the, the numbers and whatnot. Is that the case in the UK? Are the prices still going up despite the interest rates being the highest they have been in a long time? They went up for a long time, the housing prices, and then they they started to come down and there was a bit of a panic. And of course, people had taken out interest rates on their mortgages, very similar to you. Our interest rates went up. Uh, it's beginning to kind of stabilise now, but certainly the actual rental market um, is being increasingly squeezed. And what the effect it's having here is that every bit of available land now is, is being built on. And it because yesterday, for example, I went hiking and uh, you know to enjoy the weekend and there's a beautiful old country pub um, that I often go to, really, really old building, you know, thick walls and a fire and flagstone floors. And it's beautiful right out in the heart of the Mendips, which is an area of outstanding national beauty here in the UK. Um, and, and it's in the middle of nowhere, except now 
they're destroying all the fields around it because uh, somebody has sold a piece of inherited land at a huge cost, millions, and they're building on it because the government has to issue all of these targets now for building because there's nowhere for people to live. Uh, nine out of 10 people coming into the UK rental market so it's pushing out um you know british families they have to have somewhere to live but then they're ripping up the british countryside to 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 accommodate the housing crisis um australia is very different you've got more land but of course not all of it is inhabitable as most of the uk is but yeah this, this problem's not going anywhere this is another story for us and for uh, australia that is going to run and run and run uh the end result for us isn't going to be particularly nice it was very depressing being in the pub yesterday which i frequent a lot and seeing just just you know everything being ripped up all the green and pleasant countryside just going as a result of what is happening with the migration figures and the rental market. It's terrible. Yeah. And, and let's face it, I mean, people are starting to get fed up. The Dutch have had enough and uh, they've made a, a decision recently at the ballot box that may affect their migration moving forward. We've got people such as UFC and, you know, boxer Conor McGregor over, over in uh, Ireland being very vocal, as are many of the people, because uh, after those stabbings, I mean, it would be very hard not to react to that. I'm not suggesting that how they are reacting is appropriate in any way, but it does just go to show the level of discontent that people have for their government because people are not asking for this. Citizens of the country are not asking for this. And when I say citizens, I mean people who have recently come over from any country themselves. They know there's a finite uh, amount of housing that's available. They know there's a finite amount of our commonwealth that's available, especially in England and Australia that does still have free healthcare. And uh, even that's starting to dwindle somewhat. And uh, at some point, we just have to say no, I don't see why we are I'll have to second guess what I was going to say then. I just don't see why we have to cop this. I don't see we never signed up for it. And uh, I think that people need to be more vocal. I think we need to make better decisions at the ballot box because these are things that cannot be undone and that our kids and our great grandkids shall have to contend with. And they'll look back and say, what the hell was wrong with us? I think you might agree. Absolutely. It's policy, not people. This isn't about people. You know, you talk about immigration, you get the word racist thrown at you. It's not about that. It's about the policies. Do they work? And they evidently don't. Yeah. I mean, it comes down, it's not about race. It's not about, um, some people would say it's about culture, but it's certainly about numbers and those numbers are not sustainable. And um, I don't see why we should have to take on problems uh, from around the world. I don't think it's our responsibility. We never signed up for it and we never asked for it. Unfortunately, too many people signing up for left-wing governments because they're the handout brigade. They want the free stuff that's been made available to them. And I think that is part of the problem that needs to stop. And uh, we have finite financial reserves as well. Gemma Cooper, always an absolute pleasure. Looking forward to chatting with you tomorrow here on TNT Radio. You should hear what Charlie Robinson is talking about. I think once we saw the supply chain issues uh, that happened during the COVID debacle, you go, well, that seems bad for the, you know, when you're fighting somebody for toilet paper, but it could be worse, right? It could be the last can of food. So people are starting to reevaluate and reassess their situations and their relationship with supply chains and the like. And I think what that does is it leads you to a place of saying, how can I make myself less dependent on the system? It's kind of hard to know where to start, right? Where would you suggest we even begin with this process? Yeah, it's funny you said that because someone said to me recently and it made me laugh that this is going to be the kind of collapse where the Burger King's still open. And I think that's what's probably lulling people into a false sense of security in that everything when we go to the city kind of appears normal unless you're in one of those really crazy drug adult cities. But for most people, I would say, Charlie, it feels normal, but it ain't normal. <laughs> the world yeah. is not normal. It's completely gone off kilter. 
Charlie Robinson on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. I was such a young age. Everything changed. My name is Chloe. When I was 13, my dad was diagnosed with cancer. When I found out, I just didn't know how to react. I felt like everything was just kind of closing in on me. It just became a routine. Dad's doing chemo. I'd come home from school, wait for mum to finish work, and we'd go straight to the hospital, spend a few hours there, just draw. It was hard to navigate going to school. Hundreds of kids, and I was the only one with a dying dad. He was diagnosed in March, and then he died in October. Towards the end, I heard about canteen. It kind of felt nice to know that they had other people like me. They understood what I was going through, and we didn't even have to chat about cancer. In 2020, I became a youth ambassador, so I can help others the way they helped me. I've done so many things since I was 13. I've graduated high school, university, gotten my license, made a move across the country. Life now is just a whole lot more fun. Please give a gift today to support more young people like me experiencing cancer. The conversation continues. I don't believe it, and I think that's a terrible position that I am in, that I don't trust my government. This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. And welcome back to the program. We're going to talk to Gemma again in just a second because uh, we'll be getting the Aussie Cossack on shortly. I want to go to the online chat. And one thing, when I had my brief uh, time away... (laughs) Uh, for about six weeks, I was listening to Lembert, and one thing that he particularly did was uh, included the chat in his program. I thought it was terrific. I think it is a great thing to do, and sometimes we get caught up in our conversations, and it's very hard to do, so I'm going to make a very conscious effort to do it today. But we've got a bunch of people uh, in there. Nev K uh, is is very busy, bonus years as well, and uh, people such as uh, Autone has said, Dean, we need to get Eric Clapton on for an interview because some of these musicians actually do have a clue and there are some good ones There's some great actors as, as well i mean there are some terrific actors and it's funny how it can skip a, a generation where you've got you know some very popular inter or multi-generational actors where you know let's say the father is very switched on and the daughter is about as left wing as you could get i might mention some names a little bit later but i'll do the the online chat john voight by the way is what, what i'm talking about angelina jolly not so Anyway, uh, back to the online chat. Uh, we've got a whole bunch of people who are not big fans of celebrities. Uh, Van Morrison, yeah, Van Morrison seems uh, blah, 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 just reading. Uh, yeah, even Johnny Rotten has been starting to sound smart. There you go. That one coming from Autone as well. And, of course, uh, John Linden has always been switched on. That one by way of Chris and uh I love him is the response to that. Uh, I'll read a bunch of other chats out there, but certainly a lot of people not too keen on mass immigration as well as the online chat would indicate. And of course, you can do that via the tntradio.live website. Uh, Gemma Cooper, hello. Hello, I'm back. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> now, I'm a massive fan of the English. I, I do tend, I'm sorry if you're from Scotland, I do tend to pick on the Scottish people a bit. In my dad's from Scotland, I feel like I kind of can because, I mean, politically, I think the English make better decisions than Scots on average, and I think the numbers would suggest that. Um, and But, you know, the sometimes is it someone from England who we have to endure, and this is someone I want to talk about, because the Bank of England's Andrew Hauser, 
has been appointed here as our Reserve Bank Deputy Governor. Now, the reason I'm not a fan of him, I am a fan of him because he's English. I like English people. I'm not a fan of him because he used to have a lot to do with the IMF. And here's somebody who is uh, somebody who was of or involved with the IMF, who is now going to dictate, you know, policy at the at the uppermost levels when it comes to our currency. And for those who are struggling, you know, those who are paying in excess of 8% on their home loans, could you imagine, Gemma, having to come up with 8% of, you know, even let's an, at half of what an average house is here in Australia would be 500000 So if you've got a house that's worth a million, you only owe 500000 on it. Imagine having to come up with 8% of that every year. What's that, $40,000 before you've paid off one cent off that principal amount, it, that would be absolutely devastating. And then you've got to put food on the table, you've got to pay insurance, you've got to run your vehicle with the costs of everything going up. It must be absolutely horrific for some of these, especially these um, younger people at the moment. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's there's no doubt that the whole thing is an absolute scam to keep you enslaved in that debt-based economy. And I mean, the word mortgage in French, it means death pledge, doesn't it? It means yeah. that you sign up for this thing that will be a yoke around your neck. It'll either kill you or you'll have it until you die. And that is, seems to be the way mortgages are going now. Um, when I was working at the BBC, I was working with a man, a fellow presenter who was well into his 60s, and he still had a mortgage. Um, and he said he anticipated having a mortgage until he did die. And he was he was used his mortgage mortgages kind of collateral. He would remortgage and raise some money when interest rates were cheap. Of course, I don't think he'd be doing that now. I don't know. I don't even know if he's still working there. But, um, you know, it is a scam. It is an absolute scam because if you think about how many people are just, they spend their whole waking life obsessing about the mortgage, obsessing about interest rates. It is a kind of control thing. And you, you forget about playing with your kids. You forget about going for a walk because yeah. you're just constant. And even if you do those things, the internal process is, can I make the mortgage payments this month? Oh my God, the mortgage. Oh my God, the mortgage, the credit card payments. Because obviously it's not just uh, interest rates affect everything. Credit card interest rates go up. It, debt is a terrible thing. And it's become so normalized in our culture. I mean, I, when I went to university many, many, many decades ago now, uh, student loans were becoming a thing, you know, if you were from a, a kind of working class background, which I was. Um, and I heard the, I heard, I think it was a couple of years ago about, you know, loans for babies that was being thrown around. So you're born straight into debt. I mean, it, 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 it is a, a very sophisticated form of slavery, debt, because it, it keeps you completely in a loop of anxiety and fear and stress and thinking that you need all of these things that cost money to have some kind of status in society. It's a very sophisticated trap and unfortunately one that we all fall for. Although I think more and more people are desperately trying to get off grid, away from the system, away from the mortgages, away from the treadmill. It's a difficult thing to do now in our culture, but a lot of people are trying to do it, especially here in the UK. Well, Gemma, there's another aspect to that and it's something that's always troubled me deeply. And I think about it often and I don't know whether I should because it upsets me. And that is, and by the way, I wanted to write a song. One of Australia's top songwriters is a good mate of mine. I won't mention his name, but I wanted to sit down. He's won a bunch of golden guitar awards. He does Australian country music. And I said, I want to write a song. And uh, you kind of have like the Brady Bunch and you have these nine kids, you know. And as you, you know, you go through your life and you're too busy working or staying back at the office or you had to get a second job and then your wife had to get a, a you know, a second job and whatnot. And as you have these nine kids, one disappears, another one disappears. You're left with one at the end because after all of that, you are only able to find the time to have one child. Now, we come from uh, ancestry where typically our parents and our grandparents may have had up to 10 siblings and it was not abnormal only two or possibly three generations ago. Maybe I think too deeply, but I think, and I would like to encourage people for just one second, 
to think, is it possible you would have had an extra child or an extra sibling when you grew up if your parents didn't have to work so hard to put the food on the table to pay the mortgages? And it really does upset me because I think it's orchestrated. I think it's been part of our society that was um, decades ago designed to bring down our numbers to depopulate us. And I would suggest to have systems in place where you're not having, let's say, five children that you may have had otherwise. Is that really any different? And I know it's a bit of a stretch, but is that really any different to um, to killing five people, you know, who did exist? I mean, these are five tangible, real individuals who would have existed if our society was a little bit different. And I just for one second would like people to really think about that. It's not something we think about, but it's something that I do think about often because I really do think that, you know, pushing women into the workplace and 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 I'll be very careful how I say this, very careful, because I always regard women as, as smarter than us. I've always said that. Um, but when they put women into the workplace, those families who originally did that because they told women, hey, you're a second class citizen and you need to go and assert yourself. And you know, I'd say everyone has the opportunity to go and do that. As soon as one or two or 10, then 15, then 20 percent of the women were in the workforce. And that's terrific. You had a massive advantage over the households who were only getting one income. Before you know it, that pushes house prices up. Then all the other, you know, 80 percent need to have a partner who goes into the workforce. And it really does trouble me that that was orchestrated. So now we barely have any families where two people don't have to work. It should always have been an option, always. And now we're at the point where if you want a house, any chance of having a house, even of paying your rent, both of you have to work. You're not going to have time to have a second child, maybe even a first. I mean, and how many people do you know that have four or five children these days? And those who do, um, tend to do it consciously in spite of all that we have been put up against. And again, I, maybe I, I think a bit too deeply sometimes, but it is something I'd like people to consider about all the kids or siblings we may have had that we don't have because others behind the scenes have put systems in place where we were unable to have them. I'd love your thoughts on that. Well, you're absolutely right about the the workplace because, well, obviously, I mean, you know, I'm I'm a working woman and I never had children, and that's a that is an absolute personal choice. I mean, I, I've never got married either. That's another personal choice. I value my independence very highly, but I did that consciously from a young age. But when women entered the workforce, the corporations were very clever, and they said, "All right, if you yeah, come in, come into the workforce," and all they did was halve the wages. So that was all they did. So where you would have had a man earning forty thousand dollars. The woman came in and they paid the man 20 and the woman 20 to keep this kind of, it is a control mechanism. You're absolutely right. And unfortunately, what it did, it was sold very sophisticatedly, but it destroyed this, the really sacred bond between mother and child. And I see it all the time here in the UK. I'm sure you see it in Australia. Tiny little babies being wheeled off to the childminder in the morning because the mum has to go to work or the mum thinks she has to go to work to pay for all the crap that we don't even need, but we're programmed to think we need. And the poor little baby, there was a childminder, uh, the property I used to live in, childminder lived down the street. I moved house last year. She's a good friend of mine. I went to school with her and she would be wheeling other people's children to primary school in the morning. And I used to think about my mum. She used to take me to primary school, me and my brother. You know, my mum didn't go into work until I was a teenager. Um, you know, and it was such a thing, mummy taking us to school, mummy picking us up from school and you run into your mother's arms. Now kids run into the childminder's arms. You know, that is the worst thing about this. There's a sacred bond between mother and children. And it's being broken right across the UK. And I don't think women are particularly happy about it and they carry tremendous guilt. But the system says you need the house and then you need a bigger house. And then if you haven't had a holiday, oh, you're not a very good person. And people are in it and they believe it. They know it's wrong, 
but they can't break out of it. They, they just can't break out of it. And, you know, women are dropping the kids off at the childminers in these massive four by fours, which thinking that makes them a better person. It doesn't. It really doesn't. I haven't even got kids, but I can see how wrong it is from the outside. It's a terrible situation. It really, really is. And it is by design. Absolutely. It is by design. It is. I mean, it's very easy to put your uh, your career, you know, ahead of having kids. And uh, I mean, I made a very conscious effort when I was forty to uh, to by whatever means I needed to have a kid. You know, within a year, I just decided I wanted to be a parent. And I have to admit, it's probably been the best thing that's ever happened to me. You know, you get to make this little person. You need to you mold them into somebody who is kind of like an improved version of yourself everything where you think you may have failed in your own life as a child you try and correct in this little person or people and i think it's terrific i think it's a wonderful thing to do but yeah if we think about it very deeply when it comes to the point that you made that uh we don't get to spend enough time with them especially where the mother is out in the workplace and you're sending them off to the preschool or whatever you are very much the adult that you're going to be I know this might be a bit of a stretch, but I'm going to stand by it. I think by the time you're probably four or five years old, you are very much ingrained into the type of person you're going to be. And if that time has been, you know, if the mum has to go and work six days a week, you know, at the local supermarket or, you know, at the, as an executive at the office, whatever that job happens to be, then you're relying on those people to uh, to offer the same sort of in, you know, incentives, um, the same sort of uh, feedback, uh, the same sort of guidance into those children's as uh, children as you would have provided, and they could turn out so so differently because of it. And I think uh, the whole point of our parents is to raise children in our own image or as we would like them to be. And again, something else that's being taken away from us, and probably a lot to do with the way that kids are turning out as adults, young adults now, compared to how they were, I don't know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. Absolutely. I mean, there's a record number of mental health problems in young children in, in our country. And um, also there was a study out uh, last month about how tribal cultures used to raise children. Um, at Cambridge University did this study and it showed that that, that the kids never had um, a single second of no contact with adults and they were raised by a tribe and it made them secure, it made them confident, it made them able to see the benefits of parenting their own children. And in our culture, we don't do any of that anymore. And, and surprise, surprise, kids are committing suicide, kids are anxious, kids have got mental health problems because they're insecure. They've been abandoned at a very young age by the, their primary caregivers. They just drop them off and abandon them. It has a tremendous effect on a child. I still remember my first day at primary school seeing my mum walk away. I had a major panic attack and a meltdown. I was like, where's my mum going? It was awful. Yeah. It was awful, you know? But that's the world, the world we're living in. That is the world we're in. Well, Gemma, I feel very much the same way because we're going to get to a commercial break. I'm not going to see you again until tomorrow. I'd like to thank you for hanging around a little bit longer today. Very much appreciated, everybody. Gemma Cooper. Uh, we'll be back right after the news headlines. What brings you here? News Talk Radio. TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. The US Defence Chief has warned Israel is heading for a strategic defeat in Gaza as it drives the civilian population into the arms of the enemy. There are new fears the war could widen following a major escalation in the Red Sea. North Korea has threatened to take out American spacecraft if the US interferes with its new spy satellite. And more than 400 children under the age of eight have been rescued from a child sex trafficking syndicate in Africa. Are you enjoying listening to TNT Radio? Do you think we're doing a good job? Then please let us know. Why not leave us a like or a positive review or comment on Facebook, Gab or Getter. Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. And welcome back to the program. Checking out the chat. 
loving the chat. And in fact, if you're not on the chat, you're missing out. A couple of things before I even do that um, is your homework. Your homework is to tell your friends. If you're enjoying TNT Radio, the fresh, the honest perspective that you get on here and uh, you're not sharing it with your friends, you're being a bit selfish, but you're also um, not really. But I mean, I'd love you to do that. And the other thing is, now that we've got this tremendous new video format, um, many people I know are now getting home, putting on their Apple TV or their smart TV, talking into the remote and saying, I won't say it because it may trigger your local device. Okay, you know what? Uh, then YouTube and TNT radio live stream. It's that easy to watch us 24-7 in a video format, very much like, you know, you would watch Fox News. It looks brilliant. And if you haven't done it yet, we would encourage you to do it. Pretty easy to do as well. Just go to the tntradio.live website, scroll down. You'll see us there and just click on that, expand it to the full size of your iPad, your phone, or your big screen TV. And we'd love you to do that as well. Now, some people such as Kevin in the online chat are saying, Dean, I remember when mothers started to work and uh, to help the fathers wage and get what they needed for the family. Eventually, everybody worked, both mother and father, and are still broke. It was designed to increase prices, thereby keeping them broke. And that is why the Western world typically has much higher prices than those countries where there is only the male gatherer, if you will, if you want to go back and use that type of thing. But it was designed to get us into debt. It was designed to lower our birth rates and anyone who would do that. And again, I'm going to say this, and I don't say it lightly, any child who should have been who would have been a real tangible individual, you could reach out and shake their hand right now, who isn't here, anybody who is behind something that would curtail our numbers may as well have killed those people. I mean, is that too far a stretch? And what does that tell you about the people who really run the place and what they really think about us as a society, as a group? And I would really like you to think about that. It's something that, you know, you may feel differently about, but I quite often think about those who have never had the chance to exist because of policies and um, the way our culture has headed. You know, with two people in the workforce, I applaud anyone who wants to work, but of course, I think that you shouldn't have to. And unfortunately, society has been priced to match and only account for those that have two people uh, of each couple in the workforce. My next guest, I've spoken to him before, he's absolutely phenomenal, Dr. Alan Moran. He is the Principal of Regulation Economics. He is a noted economist and has analysed and written extensively from free market perspective. Alan is was the Director of a Deregulation Unit at the Institute of Public Affairs from 96 to 2014. He was previously a Senior Official in Australia's Productivity Commission and Director of the Commonwealth Office of Regulation Review and a bunch more. He's a terrific fellow. Dr. Alan Moran, how are you going? Good, pretty good, Dean. Great to be on your show. Mate, thank you. An absolute pleasure to be talking with you again, mate. Something I'd love to talk to, and you can tell everybody about it, is this upcoming COP28, COP28 Summit and what it might mean for them. Well, I mean, it, it ain't going to mean anything good, that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> and it's actually started now. We have our esteemed Minister for Energy and Climate Change there. He's going to be issuing a whole raft of press releases telling us uh, what other things he's going to do in order to uh, curry favour with uh, the, the high and the mighty in that conference. And I think there are about 70,000 people going there. Uh, the thing about it is, is that, that neither President Biden nor President Xi uh, from China are going there. So it's clearly not going to be a major conference in terms of decision making. But nonetheless, all these conferences put pressure 
on uh, Australia and other countries to do additional things to pair back uh, emissions of, of carbon dioxide, which means basically removing ourselves from the cheapest form of, of power, which is coal, to uh, the, the renewables, uh, which are both far more expensive, uh, more expensive to get to the, to the location where they're needed and highly irregular. So we, we can look forward to more of that at the, at the, the COP28, which is called. Uh, but uh, simultaneous to that, of course, there are a lot of developments moving in the opposite direction uh, in terms of the climate agenda, um, some of which uh, the politics is moving with the Argentinian election, the Dutch election, uh, murmurs in Germany, uh, Sweden, uh, and, and the Czech Republic, uh, basically shifting away from parties which are espousing the Green Revolution and towards more conservative parties, uh, the great uh, uh, litmus test of all that will be the American presidential election in uh, yeah. this time next year. Uh, uh, and uh, if, in fact, Trump were to win, it would un undermine all of those developments in the renewable energy sphere, uh, which have been taking place for, or progressively, for, for maybe 20 years now. Now, mate, I, I want to go slightly off topic because you did you did bring up the next the upcoming American election, and because I respect your opinion too much, I would love your take on how do you think that will turn out. I'd love to your take on that. Well, I think you'd have to look at looking at the opinion polls, and providing uh, Trump goes the distance, you'd have to say uh, he he would win against Biden this time round. Uh, uh, you know, Biden is clearly flailing, and and now has background in terms of the policies which aren't going down well. Um, we, we, we can see uh, a vast reduction in living standards since he came in. It, it probably blamed uh, overseas factors for that, but nonetheless, it is uh, it is down to him. Um, so we, we we'd likely see see that if Trump does uh, become the candidate. Of course, they're trying to derail him with you know ninety one different lawsuits uh, from all all across yeah. the country. Um, he doesn't seem to be too phased about that at the present time. Um, the the uh, of course the, the the surrogate Trump on the ticket is uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, who's um, you know up there amongst the the top four at the present time. One if if Trump were to bail out for whatever reason, you'd expect him to bail in, and he may even be the, uh, the the Trump's selection for the vice president. So I think that's a, that's a big issue uh, in the U.S. Uh, but Biden came in with fire and brimstone. He was going to cut off the, and he did cut off the uh, gas pipelines to everywhere. Massive increases in renewable subsidies. Uh, Trump is saying he will he will not persist with those policies. Indeed, he'll overturn them all. And you've got to say, on his track record, he's he's likely to do what he says. Unlike a great many politicians. It's very, going to be very interesting if Trump does get in. Some people suggesting that they're setting him up to fail. The American economy is surely must be on the brink of collapse uh, with their debt ceiling increasingly going up, the amount of money that they're spending on nonsensical things such as uh, non-existent climate change and whatnot. And it would be very easy for them if Donald Trump was to get in to somehow trigger some sort of collapse of the economy. And of course, all the blame would be, of course, then on Trump, despite the fact that he had nothing to do with it. Yeah, that, that, that might well be the case, what they would try to do it. But markets have a way of sort of correcting those kinds of political uh, you know, Machiavellian uh, 
attendances like that. And I think if Trump came in and he said, I'm going to balance the budget now, not that he did that last time, uh, but I'm, and I'm going to cut a huge amount of spending, which he might well do, uh, I think that the economy, you know, it would be kind of a rerun of earlier things. For example, you know, Margaret Thatcher, when she, she came into the UK with uh, an economy which was in the doldrums and everyone said, oh, well, it's going to go even further, It'll deeper down, be a massive recession. If she does persist with these cuts in spending, of course, um, the, the cuts in spending took place and the economy boomed. So I think, uh, you know, we, we might well see a rerun of that. I, I think we more likely we'll see a rerun of that than Trump coming in and the recession emerging. Some other things, you know, you've got Nigel Farage uh, getting on TV a fair bit in the UK, a lot of people looking towards him, um, suggesting, you know, he might be the Iron Man to the Iron Lady of yesteryear. But we're seeing a lot of uh, people, you know, going across, you know, they're not looking at the duopoly anymore. They are looking for some uh, people a little bit further off to the right. I wonder if that's a possibility at the next election, although it does appear at the next general election, people are going to do similarly to what they did in Australia over in the UK and go with Labor. Yeah, I think that's the best bet at the present time. But there is an outside chance of of, uh, of what you're suggesting coming about. I mean, he's, he's if he wins the sort of uh, I'm a celebrity contest, and uh, <laughs> you know, he, he's then loaded with with uh, publicity and uh, and and uh, you know, re- basically people would recognise him very much. So, and he might well be that you know he he would then as a result of that uh, maybe win the election or maybe. Uh, commandeer some of the conservatives over and change the system there. It's just possible. And we, we've seen that sort of thing happening in the Netherlands where uh, parties which were really almost non-existent not very long ago, uh, basically uh, coming to the fore and doing very well now uh, and, and into power. We've seen, of course, the same sort of thing uh, in in Argentina as well. Yeah, mate, we're seeing it. And even though I did laugh, you know, when we we're talking about I'm a celebrity, let's face it, Donald Trump became to fame because of a similar type of, of, of television show. So, well, that's uh, right, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's crazy. Uh, um, Alan, we have to get to a, a break. Hold that thought. Uh, okay. Lots of questions and lots of things to talk about on the other side. You're with Dr. Alan Moran here on TNT Radio. I'm Cal Fire Battalion Chief Isaac Sanchez. And normally we like to provide you with tips on how to keep yourselves and your family safe during wildfires. But given the historic impacts that the weather has had on our state this year, we would like to provide you with tips on how to keep yourself safe during extreme weather. If you reside in an area susceptible to flooding, please take the necessary steps to prepare to evacuate if advised. Make sure you've identified at least two exit routes out of your neighborhood as one of them may be blocked or flooded. As the weather develops, remember to check in on vulnerable neighbors and family members. They may need additional time to prepare for evacuation. And just like during a wildfire, if you feel unsafe, please evacuate. You don't have to wait for the order to come. Keep an emergency go bag ready in case you need to evacuate. And always remember to plan for the safety of your pets as well. If you must leave, never drive around roadblocks. It can take as little as 12 inches of water to sweep your vehicle away. And always remember the mantra, turn around, don't drown. Be aware of first responders working in highly impacted areas, especially on the roads. For additional safety tips and updates on CAL FIRE activities, Follow us on social media or visit fire.ca.gov. The thing that drives me every day as a dad is him. Every day he's hungry for something. 
And there's this huge responsibility in making sure that he's a good person. I think the advice I would give is you don't need to know all the answers. It's okay to make mistakes. As long as it's coming from love, then it kind of starts to work itself out. Dean Mackin on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. And we're back with Dr. Alan Moran. And uh, Senator Gerard Rennick has been rather outspoken when it comes to uh, to our new changes to the RBA and those who work there. They've had a bit of a token appointment, if, if you will. Um, that's my take on it, to the top job. But then again, when it comes to Andrew Hauser, he is a man who formerly was of the Bank of England. And it's rather funny because a few people have been saying, well, if you're going to come across from the Bank of England, why don't you bring all of our gold with you? Apparently, we have a gold-backed economy. But Australia hasn't seen hide nor hair of that particular gold for many, many years. Apparently, it's sitting somewhere over in the UK. Wouldn't it be terrific if he could bring that with it? Well, I guess so. But if, if you thought that the gold was in any sense um, in any danger of being uh, taken by the UK, but that, I think that's a bit unlikely. Uh, is, I mean, it would, would be the case if you're Iran or somewhere where you're a terrorist state, I guess, then, then you would be taking it out. But I don't think there's a great deal uh, of, of risk uh, with the losing our gold reserves or, or the title to the gold reserves uh, anytime soon. No, I'm certainly not worried about that. I just think if we have some gold, I'd like it here. I'd like it sitting in a vault somewhere here, close at hand, you know, should we ever need it. But I think having a gold-backed uh, economy, and that's something that, of course, Donald Trump is a big fan of. And yeah. uh, if you're ever going to have some sort of uh, turmoil in your financial system, it's always good to be able to fall back on that and have have that level of, of resilience. Yeah, certainly a gold standard is, is uh, an interesting way of, of handling the economy and the money, money supply and uh, probably, I mean, it would certainly be a better idea if we could get back to it uh, anytime soon, but I don't sure, I'm not sure we can now. So, mate, what, what are your thoughts on on our new uh, Mr. Mr. Hauser coming into the RBA? Now, he's somebody who, after I Googled him, I found had some ties with the IMF, and that's those three letters are bound to trigger some people. Yeah. Well, I think that, uh, yeah, he's, I mean, they all have, though. They're, they're, they're all part of the banking cabal. Uh, who are lifers with the banks, and uh, I think no matter who you who you pick up, it's going to be like that. I don't idea whether he's more competent than anybody else there. Uh, what you do find, and you certainly found that with Michelle Bullock when she got the job before she got the job, is she'd been vetted. Of course, the Labour Party yeah. government, all governments would vet them, uh, and suddenly having had a career of thirty years or whatever it is in the Reserve Bank. Uh, she started talking about climate change and, you know, uh, we've got to do something about that. Now, quite clearly, uh, she had been uh, leaned on and, and virtually told that, you know, you've got to actually play the ball, uh, play this climate change game if you're going to get the top job. So she made the obligatory speech saying, uh, you know, we've got to do something about it. And uh, I would think uh, that Hauser would have been picked, uh, would have been interviewed as, as to his views on that and, and uh, would be would be would have uh, made sure he was he was quote sound and quotes uh, just as um, the the recent appointee of the, to the productivity commission would have been similarly sound and an ALP type leading leading type person uh, and the same is 
definitely true, of course, of the, the three people who uh, are running the regulatory institutions. Uh, we have three regulators for electricity and gas, and uh, they would all be on board with the, the government's agenda there. It's something I would invite you, if you don't mind, to speculate on. There were many thinking that about six months ago that the interest rates may have topped out. We certainly had a, a bit of a break for a little while, but then again, uh, subsequently, we've had a, a couple of quarter point rises. Um, how do you see it going over the next 12 months? I think that there is another possibility of, of rise or rises in, mod in a modest way. Uh, what the government is actually doing is so, somewhat washing its hands of this now. In a way, uh, that has some positives because it means the government can't, manip or can't manipulate the exchange rates for short-term gain. Uh, but on the other hand, it, it does leave them in the hands of sort of professionals who, who aren't uh, accountable to the uh, to the electorate. Uh, so, uh, you know, we, we, we the question, the only question is that the Reserve Bank itself hasn't got a clue uh, at the present time whether it's going <laughs> to go up or down. I yeah. mean, they basically don't don't know. I mean, but certainly if inflation doesn't abate or if it stays persistently at its four or five percent now, then I think they will they will notch up the rates a little bit more, which is terrible, really, for, for mortgage holders and and a great danger for the uh, for the government. But the government, if it is, since it's taken it out, it's taken itself off the agenda to say, well, it can no longer or it intends to legislate say it can no longer direct the Reserve Bank. It can simply say, well, interest rates have gone up, but it's nothing to do with us. It's the Reserve Bank, and that's uh, that's just outside of politics. So there's a bit of a, a, a one again for the government that way, uh, with, with maybe it's a two-edged sword, but there's a bit of a gain. It's very interesting. I can only comment on what's happening here in Australia. But despite the fact that we've just had, you know, subsequent uh, interest rate rises, and again, as you pointed out, with the possibility of more to come, uh, the housing market has been more than resilient. Uh, many would argue that is due to artificial means such as mass migration, 1.5 million people coming here in recent years, far more than the 200,000 per year that we had been used to for quite some time with a little bit of a break during the COVID era. Yeah. era. But here we are, prices still going up. I would suggest that with the house prices here in Australia, um, many families must be reaching what I would consider to be critical mass, where with the next one could be the straw that broke the camel's back, at which point we're going to see the whole market tumble. There would be many people who would be ecstatic about that, thinking that they can go and capitalise and get some bargains. But yeah. um, despite the fact that many very intelligent people predicted that would already happen, it hasn't happened yet. Will it happen, do you think? Well, no, I mean, it's, it's, all, it's all down to demand and supply. I mean, basically, the housing is horrendous prices here compared to the rest of the world. Uh, and basically, we have institutional arrangements which make it rather difficult to develop land. We, you know, the governments, governments ideologically are disposed to saying, well, we ought to concentrate on, on building up in the cities rather than, than extending the, the, the land outside of the cities. So we have a situation, say, uh, in our major capital cities here, the, the price, the average price of a house is, uh, is about three or four times the price in Texas. Well, wow. you know, so that's a booming economy. Uh, but the only reason why that's so is that you want to build a house in Texas, you go build a house. Here, you've got to go through a whole rigmarole and get planning permission and various things like that, which 
make it far more expensive and reduce the amount of house building we can do. And as you say, this is aggravated when we've actually got a, a burgeoning uh, uh, immigration population coming in. So yes, a lot of people are going to be doing it tough and a couple more interest rates, if they rises, if they take place, will leave immense distress. And we're seeing a bit of distress already, but you see immense distress. Whether that would actually be uh, result in a collapse in the prices, it's not clear because you know the demand has been so constrained, the supply has been so constrained over over many years now that yeah. And um, sorry, Dr. Alan Moran, your perspective invaluable. I've got about five seconds to go. I thank you for coming on the program, and I look forward to doing it again real soon. Bye.